Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos, episode number three. How you all doing out there in podcast land? I hope you guys are, are well and that you're, uh, you know, you're fighting the good fight. You're taking victories where you can. We really appreciate the comms that we get with you guys. We appreciate the, the feedback. We love a message here and there. And I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you how far every uh, message goes with us. But uh, I'm back here. We've got our, our regular two idiots. How are you going there, Tia? <laughs> i'm going good um i was just yeah i'm good man uh, i don't even know why i'm talking to you hi chezza you look really lovely hi. i like your blonde hair i love your highlights that's a good look for you by the way <laughs> thank you so Thanks, yeah so we've got we've got one guest has already been introduced chezza my wife and uh and we've got a uh, regular host mike hey going man i'm disgusted by raf what kind of opening is that? Do you hear the laugh? The laugh. We took 45 days off. This is episode three. The, sh- the shit-eating laugh was still there. <laughs> and, th- and then he said he's good. Raph, what were you doing about an hour ago? I was throwing it up, but then I rallied. He was throwing it up after a rally. Do you hear that? That's real. That's dedication. That's my T.O. right there. I'm ready for yeah. the show. Let's go. He's got his, his plaid. Yeah. This He's got his flannelette shirt on. Yeah, this is how exotic. Uh, this is how. It's how good my life is. I uh, had a lunch date basically with my wife. Came back, I felt normal. Picked up little man from daycare. I lay down with him just in the beginning of his nap, and then I woke up with like a stomachache, and I was like, "Hmm, this isn't good." And then I just escalated quickly before I knew it. I was throwing up. That's when I texted you two idiots, and I was like, "Hey, I'm not feeling so good." But then all the hate started coming. Uh, and I was like, all right, I'm not missing this episode. Those dudes. Yeah, he was like. So I forced more throw up out of me. Now I'm I'm good. Yeah, Raph was all concerned. He's like, oh, I just threw up. I don't know if I'm really and like make the show. And I was like, well, it sounds like you're throwing up on the mic anyway, so it really doesn't matter. So just get on <laughs> get on the computer already. Cast the demon out, Ralphie. And then the other guest we have, you probably all seen the show notes. We're uh, graced with the presence of Ashley. How are you going there, Ashley? Hey guys, doing good. Um, not quite as good as Raph is. Um, <laughs> I do appreciate the intestinal fortitude that you had pushing aside all that and making it here though. Uh, in your flannel glory. I mean, this has lived up to all my dreams. I've got a flannel shirt. I've got a black, <laughs> yeah, black, right. a lot of black shirt on Melon. Only thing is Mike screwed it away because I don't see a bandana. So... <laughs> Two out of three is not bad. She, she's coming in hot, man. She's open. She's coming with a quick draw. No wonder she's from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so people no doubt have had a look at the, the show notes there and they've picked up a little bit of the backstory and, and how we uh, are, are lucky enough to have connected with Ashley. But do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, Ashley, like where you're from and, and, and what you and your husband have done, the services and so on? Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, I'm a mom of four. Um, not crazy. <laughs> I promise. Maybe a little. Uh, I have a 15-year-old son, Gage. I have an eight-year-old daughter, Alexis. JC will be two in August, and Enola will be one in August. Little side story. They are actually one day apart. They're Irish twins. Uh, not a lot of people know that. So um, that one I may be crazy for, but we'll get into Enola's story later because that wasn't exactly planned. 
Um, I am married to Matt. He is a firefighter paramedic out of DeSoto, which is in DFW. And he is a Marine Corps veteran. And then I myself am an Army veteran. And uh, we live out here in Northeast Texas on our land of full of critters and kids. And we just kind of make it happen every day. And Ashley and uh, Cherry and I were lucky enough to connect. Ashley reached out and made contact with Cherry and I while she was going through a bit of a hard time after having listened to our previous uh, podcast, No You Ever Drop Rover. And the fact that uh, our daughter Annie was born super prim, you know, you share these intimate details about yourself out into the universe sometimes and you don't know where it's going to go and what it's going to lead to. But, you know, Ashley Ashley listened to that episode and reached out to, to us and we've... It's just such an amazing thing to be here in the Middle East and have someone in Texas, you know, connect and to feel like we're participating in your story in some small way. Actually, it was really a blessing. And it really, it's, it's made a big difference to Cherry and I. Now, for the, for the listeners, they've probably seen the show. So Nola was a, a prim, a little fighter, just like Annie. So maybe you could tell us just a little bit about her and, and you know, when she was born and that, how that all started, that little story. Sure. Um, so I had Enola, Enola Grace. Um, obviously, history was for you guys out there on where that namesake came from because she is a force to be reckoned with. I had her. Uh, I had her at 24 weeks. Uh, I went into um, spontaneous labor. I had a full placental abruption, and um, what that is is it is where without going into too many details your placenta is detaching from the wall of your uterus and you and the baby are bleeding um quite extensively um they still don't know why it happened i wasn't doing anything crazy uh everything had been healthy happy pregnancy up until then but so um one day it just happened so um i was home i, I was due in december 9th was my due date and this was august august 19th of 2021 and um matt my husband was at work it's about an hour away um where he works at and he was on shift and um i had just laid our older daughter down for a nap and then honestly obviously something wasn't right so i went to the restroom and saved the details i text him i said hey trying not to make a big deal but and this is what's going on, took my blood pressure and it was 224 over 126. Yeah. So took it again. (laughs) Felt fine the whole time still, but no other symptoms. I felt fine. And um, needless to say, he got off the phone and he came straight home. He made it home probably in 30 minutes. He cut the drive almost in half, probably. Um, It was kind of something... It was like a movie, slow, you know, slow motion movie. Came in, he took it again manually with a blood pressure cuff and stethoscope just to confirm. And he said, let's go. <laughs> so we went and it's another 45 minute drive just to the hospital. So this is now going on probably in a little over an hour, a little hour, hour and a half. Um, but if everything had not gone perfectly, Anola wouldn't still be here today. And we needed to make that hour drive to the hospital. Um, 
because the hospital out here where we are would not have been able to provide the care that her or I needed. And one of us, if not both of us, wouldn't be here. So we went into Dallas. Um, I delivered a 585 gram baby girl, uh, which we did not know what gender it was. We were waiting to find out if she was a boy or girl till delivery. And I thought it was a boy, 100%. I've had three other kiddos. I would put money that she was a boy. I was wrong, which is a good thing because uh, with preemie babies, uh, there's a thing called wimpy white boy syndrome. It's a real thing that boys are weaker than girls when they're born early. So thank God she was a girl. She came out fighting um, and we spent 177 days in the NICU. We went through, she's had seven surgeries, 20, about 20 blood transfusions. To be honest, I've lost count, but there's at least 20. Um, two rounds of Avastin eye injections, probably eight brain taps to drain fluid from her brain. And our next procedure is actually in a month. So we're not done. And uh, driving back and forth to the hospital every day, you know, I would take my older kids to school and then I would, um, you know, kind of switch gears, shift mentality and drop them off and then drop the, the toddler off at daycare and head into the hospital. And you search for any normalcy, anything you can control, anything that makes you feel somewhat normal. Um, and that's when I came across the old podcast. Uh, I was familiar with not your average operator from some local charity work and stuff. And I actually had, was at one of the rock for the troops, um, in 2015 <laughs> events that they had. So I seen it and I was like, Oh, let's hear what these guys got to say. And y'all kept me laughing. <laughs> uh, y'all were a distraction. Uh, and then I heard your story about Annie and I realized it was much more than just a distraction or laughing. It was like, Oh wait, these three knuckleheads do kind of know what they're talking. Hey, you know, maybe there's something there, you know, other than just meathead talk. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I, <laughs> that's when I reached out to you, Melon, and now here we are. It's just, just so many details that are almost identical between our two daughters and our story, the, the, the period of time in hospital, the, the birth weight. We talk a 15 gram difference between Annie and Nola. The whole process, I think, for anyone who goes through serious ill health stuff, it doesn't really matter exactly what the name of the condition is because the experience for the, pe the family and the experience for the people going through it is really a shared one. And we, we really are very familiar with how tiny a needle head you've had to thread the cotton through to get that child home from that beginning. Like there's no, there's no margin in any of it. Can I just can I just confirm that you effectively called an ambulance and that was your husband who came? <laughs> uh, I did not call nine one one. I called him, <laughs> but yeah. and, um, but yes, uh, my husband was. I mean, he was my ambulance, and we've always kind of made a joke. I've always said like, if I'm ever in a car wreck, I'm gonna be irate and be like, don't touch me until my husband gets here because I, the local EMS services very in skill sets so you know i'm not i mean i appreciate everything they do but i trust him obviously and uh so we've always joked about that and then he he's like this is not what i meant <laughs> when i said 
said, call me. <laughs> and uh, we always joked that I wanted to have a home birth too. And I wanted to have the, oh, my water broke and have the excitement. And this is not what we meant at all. And, um, and then it's not very often that a placental abruption is pretty rare. So for a paramedic to get to transport a, one of those is rare too. And he's like, still, again, I would rather it not be my wife, <laughs> you know, that I transported, but he did. And uh, he, he, I mean, seeing him switch over to that mindset, I don't get to see him at work. So seeing him switch over to that mindset, uh, like I, I still remember it. And then even in the hospital, um, bless his heart. There was no like skidding up to the curb or anything. He parked and made me walk across the parking lot because <laughs> he was just like, we got to get in there. We got to get in there. <laughs> I'm like waddling behind. I'm like, okay. So, uh, but um, he got in there. He took kind of scene command. He told the nurses, this is what you got. He gave report like I was a patient. I, I was. And when they weren't emergent, he made them emergent and um, he pushed for a steroid. Uh, there's a steroid you can get when you're still pregnant that really helps the baby's odds. And I wanted it, even though I, I knew I didn't have time, but he, he still, he forced them. He made them give it to me, even though they didn't want to, because they knew everybody knew we weren't going to have time, but I just wanted her to have the best chance she had could possibly have. And that steroid was it. Um, so I got one steroid, but I literally delivered, 15 minutes later. So it didn't have time to take effect, but yes, he was my 911. <laughs> Such an amazing thing to get to see your partner. I know that you were in it, but to see your partner dealing with a gigantic emergency like that in full, in their full training, in their full mastery of their skills mm -hmm. and for him to be able to do that for his own wife for the mother of his own children and for his own baby girl. Such an extraordinary thing for you two to have that shared experience now in your past, like in your bank vault, there is just like a million dollar gold bullion sitting there, you know, like that's an extraordinary thing to share. It is. Sure. Um, we've, we've always, Matt and I, in the, time of our relationship we have handled a lot of really big life events death um emergent situations adoptions a lot and we handle the big things really well um as you know you know of course like the NICU life puts a strain you know and there's small things that come into play and things like that that I mean, any stressful situation puts a strain on a relationship but um the big things we do really well <laughs> so uh, we're all just speechless. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to just jump in and, you know, I, I've never heard this whole story in detail, but I know the gist of it. And, and like, I have talked to Ashley about Enola and she sends me pictures of her like laughing and actually listening to the old podcast while she's in like her little rocker and stuff and her little t-shirt and stuff. And just, you know, Melon talking, you know, she's always like, you know, Ashley's always just like, oh yeah, my kids are like, mom, like, who's this Australian you're listening to on the, on the podcast? Like, who is that? You know, it's really funny, but uh, you know, what I'd like to share is just kind of to keep this in mind uh, for the listeners is uh, 
you know, I know we're like three military guys and, and Ashley's a veteran and her husband's a veteran as well. And when veterans get on and talk, there's usually like this, this military talk all the time of like work and work and work and this and that, and that type of lifestyle. But this is, this is also a part of that. Like life never stops and we're all in the same boat. Like we always talk about like the frameworks, the same, and no matter what you do, if you're military or not, and you're listening to this, like this, this can happen to anybody and, you know, dealing with stuff as a veteran and then going through things like this, I mean, it's just a whole nother layer. So it's just like that to me, I'm being a student right now. And I'm just literally probably going to be listening most of this episode, but I just wanted to like, let that resonate with everybody is just like, forget about the military part. Like this is a real life story that connected two people on different sides of the world. I mean, it, it's very, very special. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to, like I said, I'm just going to listen to this because this is amazing. And that's what honestly I love about y'all, you know, the podcast and the previous one. And I'm looking forward to, you know, all the new episodes because you guys are good about encompassing that into your show. Um, well, like with the episode with April, which kudos to her. That was a very powerful episode. Um, you know, there's her, that story needs to be told. And you guys as military, y'all see one side of it, but the spouses have a whole totally different side of combat veteran lifestyle and, you know, what life is like honestly, um, even post-discharge. I I do a lot of work through an ERG group at work and uh, my employer being a government contractor, we get a lot of fresh out of the military, 25 year veteran, you know, all they've ever done was serve and they come straight out and they don't know what to do. Like we had one guy, he's like, I didn't know my socks were supposed to match my belt, were supposed to match my shirt. He's like, my clothes are picked out for me. (laughs) So the fact that you guys kind of tie that whole everything into your show, I think that's what's really beneficial to your audience. Just for the, just for the listeners, the, the backstory there with April is that that was a military couple where there was a PTSD related to wartime service. And April and Adam both came on the previous uh, podcast and shared their story. And shout out to them because that was an amazing thing to share out into our community. I'd never, ever heard the spouse side. I've never heard it anywhere. I've never seen it discussed, really. I've never seen articles, anything online. And that was just a huge insight into that other side of, you know, how that whole situation unfolds. Yeah. I Melon said the serious part. I was going to say, as far as the guy at work, just tell him to wear a wife beater to work every day and never change his clothes, like short shorts, like Melon does. And he'll be, he'll be fine. It's, it's great advice. And you can give him the podcast and be like, Hey, yeah, I heard this great tip on how veterans should dress. And then just show him a picture of Melon. And it, I'll, I'll relay that. Yeah. He'll be the CEO before he knows it. <laughs> Hey, Ashley, if I could just ask, I just want to confirm because it sounds like you've listened to quite a few episodes and I, I made this statement more than a handful of times and I'm sure I, I think I already know the answer. If you could just confirm, I, you probably feel like Melon and I kind of carry the show and we don't know what Mike does most of the time. Is that a fair assessment of how you've kind of just, because I think you've watched most of the episodes. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Because that's how we feel. You know, the true hero here is Cheza. I mean, she, I mean, that, that's who really honestly carries Cheza and Annie. I mean, I already told y'all what brought me in was Annie. So Cheza and Annie are the true heroes here. 
And I'm not, I mean, you didn't hear this from me, but they were talking about staging a coup to kind of relieve you of your duties and replace you earlier. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Well, oh. they can't. Well, they can't because I've got a uh, deck of papers. And so I, I'm not going anywhere. You've got your papers. We know. We've heard. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Return serve. Yeah. <laughs> On a serious note, so I, uh, growing up as a kid, uh, my younger, well, he's my only brother, but my younger brother, um, he was born relatively normal, healthy. And then about six months old, he uh, contracted uh, um, meningitis. And kind of you were talking about that NICU life for 170 some odd days. I mean, as soon as you started talking about that, it kind of just, it was a throat, like immediately in my memory, I just like went back to when I was 10 years old or wherever I was and just watching my parents go through all of that. And I don't, and I think you said uh, all your kids were in bed, right? So no one got to witness you taking your blood pressure. It wasn't like, I mean, were there, were they there physically present for it uh, when Matt came home and they were trying to usher you out to the hospital? Uh, no, the oldest two were in school, um, and JC, I had just laid her down, which she was about to turn one, so she wouldn't have really comprehended um, what was going on. I had just laid her down for a nap, and so she woke up from her nap, and my older two came home from school, and I was gone for three days, yeah. so um, I, I can imagine that, you know, they were scared, and which I, I talked to them on the phone that evening. And let them know, you know, of course, reassure them everything's going to be okay, even if it, you don't know. Um, the oldest, he was a little more aware because, I mean, he mm. was 14. So um, he kind of knew kind of the severity and how early she was. Um, and my oldest daughter was like, oh, so you're going to bring her home? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but they, you know, we, there was a lot of times where they went to the hospital with us. And so kind of like you, you know, growing up and seeing your mom, and dad, you know, going and tending to your brother. Um, there was a lot of waiting rooms. There was a lot of car waits. There was a lot of waiting room waits. There was a lot of, we got to go again, you know, and they're kids. So you can't hold that against them. They're like, oh, we got to go to the hospital again. Um, but they, honestly, they were amazing through the whole thing. I mean, they didn't, they knew how severe it was and they knew how hard Anola was fighting. We shared pictures every day with them um, just to remind them kind of what, the purpose was we've always been really good with our kids we're honest um no not as far as like tiny details they don't need all the details but we're honest with them we don't hide anything from them because they need to know the reality of the situation so that they can prepare themselves for it as well just getting yeah, the I, love that. I love that you're just raising i was gonna say i love that you're raising uh, just amazing little humans that's that's brilliant yeah it was a pivotal moment for me because uh I, I was the one that found my mom. She had just had a seizure. She collapsed. She was trying to make it to the bed. She didn't. Fell on her side. So, you know, there I was, 10 years old. I walked up into the room, and she's my mom is on her side, seizing, pregnant. And, uh, I mean, that, to the day, that, like, I, that whole moment just went to slow motion for me. And then after that, you know, the ambulance, I ran down, called the uh, ambulance. They showed up, and he ended up getting delivered a little prematurely. But, you know, like, he was fine from that. It was, you know, months later that he contracted meningitis. Oh, wow. And then that whole make you life kind of kicked off yeah it was it was pretty crazy so as soon as you started talking i immediately went to that so i just bring that up because i think that um i you just nailed it right so as a kid that experience could have been extremely negative and to some degree it is because like you said you know the severity of it like i know my mom was in some sort of like health danger but over time 
going to the hospital, visiting my brother, seeing his, even though his progression was slow, but over time seeing like him getting better enough to leave the hospital, like just gave me hope. It gave me hope in a lot of things. And there's, and that I've carried that into my life. Like I've carried that where like where time seemed dire. And I'm like, you know what? It like, there's no reason to lose hope. Like we can see through this. Like there's been worse moments. And I, I just think it's awesome that you and Matt are, are like that with your children. You're very brutally honest, but you're, but like you said, you're not losing hope, right? Like you're, absolutely just saying, hey, this is the reality of it. We're going to see our way through it as a family, individual strength, grit, that sort of thing. Mike? Yeah, I I want to ask Cheza a question because she's sitting here listening to Ashley's story and she's listening to your raf. And there's definitely a lot of emotion going on right now. And Cheza's, you know, 15 years ago went went through this similarly and she's been a great mentor um not just to ashley but really to to myself and everything about like this journey with annie and getting to experience time with them last year and just she's a very very special person so chesa um i just kind of want to know like how are you taking this all in like i see the emotion on your face but like what are you taking from this hearing these stories and these connections well everything that Ashley has said so far has resonated with me and um, hearing you, Raf, as well, talk about your brother. Um, I think one of the things that really strikes me about these stories is that when you fall pregnant and you celebrate that with your husband and your partner and your family, you don't really, you, you know that it's important, you know that it's a really big thing that's happening in your life. But before having a premature baby, I really had no information about the world of neonates, about the world of prem babies, about just everything to do with that world. And so when it happens, it's obviously a shock. And a lot of things, as you said, Ashley, are going through your mind about what's this going to look like now? What happens now? And it's not like you have much time. You don't really have time to, to think about it and go, well, this is how I'm going to deal with this. <laughs> and there's not much reflection time and there's not a lot of, it's, it's from that moment on, all these decisions are critical. And one of the things I'd like to ask you, Ashley, how did you and Matt, at what point did you sit down and say, how are we going to, to be because I know that for Paul and I, um, when I was in labour for seven days, we made a decision at that point because we did have a bit of time in regards to, you know, Annie hadn't, I hadn't delivered her yet, but we knew that it was coming. And we had a conversation where we had a bit of a mantra that we would say. And so... I think going into the NICU after that, when she, when I did deliver her, I was able, we were able to, I guess, use that mantra to, to calm ourselves. But I do remember thinking, like, this is a world that I know nothing about. This is, and as you said before, like, life is still going on. Like, there's still there's still things happening and we didn't have other other children at that point so i feel i felt very lucky too that we we had we could concentrate on annie 100% and we weren't perfect during that as a couple like we you know there were so many hard times as well um 
and so we did have to see counsellors and we did have to, to constantly check on each other and make sure that we were not being too hard on each other and, and just remembering where we were at and that there was, as, the, as time went on, there was hope. But in the early days, it, I, I didn't feel much hope, to be honest. Um, so I'm interested to know how you and Matt, at what point you sort of, or how, the, how that went for you guys. Um, here, uh, I know NICUs, you know, 15 years ago, they were, I'm assuming in Australia, you'll have like one big room with all the babies in one room together. Mm. Uh, now, and they were like that here a long time ago too, but now they're in separate, um, well, and the one we were in, um, she had a roommate, it was her and one other baby in a, in a room by themselves. So I had a rule that as soon as you walk in those doors, there's no negative thoughts. There's no negative attitude. There's no negative talk. If we need to have a conversation in the hallway, we'll have it in the hallway. I don't want anything but good energy in that room. Um, we had dream catchers and saints necklaces and crosses and scriptures all over the walls and pictures from big sister and anything that we can get to brighten it up. Um, we have a little Top Gun bear because that's our thing. That's Maverick and Goose. So, <laughs> um, but that room was just a positive zone. Like even there was times where nurses, I would take a conversation in the hallway um, because as you know, there's some really scary days in the NICU, you know, roller coaster where you're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. And um, if I felt myself starting to have doubts, even I would take a step out and I would take a deep breath and try to recoup because she was supposed to still be in me. So I felt like she could, she could sense, I mean, babies can sense the emotions of their parents anyway. So how is this baby that is supposed to still be inside of me? She can sense me through, it doesn't matter if it's through plastic or not because we couldn't touch her for a while. Um, and when you did get to touch her, you couldn't rub her. You just had to just place your hand on her because of her skin. And then um, she was 41 days old before I got to hold her. So I just tried to connect in every way possible without physical touch. And that was through, I mean, call it juju, call it prayer, call it positive energy. Um, but that was a big thing. Um, as far as how we... We had, I mean, lots of trips to and from with conversations and time to talk. And, but really, if you were going to the hospital, it had to be positive. I listened to you guys. I listened to, um, there's a Stephen Furtick preacher that I listened to and any positive podcast, <laughs> anything else was after just to get your mindset right, to prepare to what you're about to walk into because I would get report at 5 a.m. from the nurse, but a lot can happen between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. when I would get there too. So um, just to mentally prepare, you know, as much as we could that way. And then um, obviously we, our three older kids kept us busy. Um, I was still working full time. I did not take maternity leave. I took one week off. Um, I was able to work remotely. Thank, you know, thank God for that. I do have an employer that was able to switch me over to remote schedule hundred percent. So I, Honestly, I buried myself in work and school and the older kids being busy. And even last weekend, whenever I graduated, I'll be honest, like 
I was crying the morning of my graduation because I was scared of what I was going to have to face mentally and emotionally after I was done because there's stuff that I still haven't unpacked and there's stuff that I'm, I'm talking, I mean, years because I've just been busy the past, honestly, probably three, four years have been a nonstop busy. So that's, I mean, probably not the healthiest advice to give, but I just stayed busy. Uh, Matt, obviously he works 24 hour shifts on and 48 hour shifts off. Uh, he has the gym as a big outlet. Uh, sadly with the hospital, uh, my gym schedule slacked a lot from what it used to be I'm looking forward now that school's done to getting that back. But, um, so he, he really, you know, dove into the gym a lot, um, work as well. Um, him and our oldest, our son started boxing. Uh, it's something that he did a little bit in college, but they got back into that. And it's been great for both of them and teenage hormones. As you guys know, we all have a teenage boy. So boxing has been amazing. <laughs> so, uh, and we just, I mean, there were days when we, we did bite each other's heads off. And looking back, there was a lot of things we could have handled a lot better. Um, but like you said, nobody writes a book for how to go through that. You wing it and you kind of just make up your mindset that you're going to get through this. If she is fighting, I am fighting. And right. she, she has, I mean, a million and one odds against her. But if she is going to you know, give us a sign every day that she is still fighting, then we are going to fight. No fans or buds, whatever else can wait. Whatever World War Three crap is going on, we'll be there when we're done. Right now, it's it's her. What I love about what you've said is that you both did different things for yourselves, and um, I remember doing that as well. I went back to work because I I actually needed to get out of the hospital environment for a part of the day. Um, it it helped me to think about what was going on and to um to deal with it whereas Paul dealt with it differently and I think that's something that I've you know taken with me throughout my life is that how someone feels about something how they deal with something that's going on for them and what what they need to get them through something is it's, it's okay and that um my way doesn't have to be Paul's way and vice versa. Um, yeah, that so much of what you've said just it reminds me of that time. And also, you know, back then when Annie was born, the social media and podcasts and things like that, just you couldn't, like I remember going to a bookstore um, after work one day before going to the hospital and praying that I would find a book about someone who had given birth to a premature baby and that, like, I was looking for something, someone that I could connect with that had the same story and there was just nothing. And the other people in uh, families in the hospital in the NICU, we became very close with because you just banded together the you know, from glances across the room at each other and sort of looking at each other at the cafeteria or seeing that these families had little kids. And, it, yeah, there was something about those families that we all actually just created a little group, didn't we? Because there was no information then that we could easily access. And I love, one of the things I love about 
about the internet and social media is that people can really connect with others like them going through the same thing. It's such a positive way that people can realise that they're not alone. We had a, we really had a, <clears throat> the mantra that Jerry mentioned was, was spirit, mind, body. And that it's all, it has to be in that order that the physical will follow the heart and the heart will follow the soul. You know, there's a spiritual element that comes first. And we really, we got really clear pretty early on that, you know, I, I would fully stress out if I was let in the hospital for probably less than 15 hours a day. And, and for Cherry, it was just, that was not the same. And she needed to go back to half days and clear her head. And, and we did exactly the same thing that you did with like, you have to get yourself in a positive state. You have to be in a positive state and not a forced state. You actually have to, by the time that car pulls up and you're walking in, you must be bringing just a positive energy in with you. And so those mornings waking up and in a state of stress and fear, after getting updates on the phone and, and whatnot. And then by the time we'd driven there, we were just like, we had a little routine of just resolving stuff in the car on the way there to be, to get to the point where you're walking up to the doors with an anticipation and, you know, an eagerness in your heart to see the baby and, you know, reconnect. There's a, it's an amazing thing that, that spirit, mind, body, because I know you'd know actually there's a statistic around babies that get skin to skin cuddling which is called a kangaroo cuddle, those, those babies have an increased survival rate. And there's, it's just science, I'm sure, that we just don't understand yet on why a baby that's held has a survival rate that's better than a baby that's not. So energy and positivity and the, all those sorts of things are just an extraordinary part of it. And finding the way that works is the only thing that's important. There's no right way. There's no like solution that you can go and download or... You know, it's just got to be what the only thing that matters is that you find something that works and finding your way to that quickly in these times of crisis is super important. Mm. Sounds like you and Matt are just like, I don't know how you did it with other kids. And both working as well. It's, it's really amazing. So I, I'd like to just pause real quick and I just want to bring up... <sighs> I guess you could call them heroes, but I normally hear them called angels. Uh, you guys could speak on who who your heroes or angels were during those 170 some days and what, what you experienced, because uh, I, I just can't imagine being in that situation. You know, we've had uh, my friend, Dr. Tony, that's been on us in pediatric medicine as a doctor and having to deal with with children uh in their worst times i don't know if i would have the strength to be able to do that so it just takes an incredible person to uh you know be a nurse or be a doctor but uh would you guys like to just talk about maybe some things that pop in your head and maybe some some certain days or instances where they were just there and just you couldn't have got through without them because they truly are special people Absolutely. Um, so we have, you have the option to pick your care team here. Um, and I don't know if you get to do that in Australia, but, um, so if there's certain nurses that you really like, you could add them to your team and build. So what that means is it when they work, you know, they'll be on your service and then you can select a primary nurse 
And if they accept, that means every time they work, they will have your baby. So we were really fortunate to have two amazing primary nurses, a, a day shift and a night shift nurse. Um, and uh, we'll start with our night shift nurse, Brooke. Uh, Brooke was there the worst day, the worst day of all of Enola's stay. Um, she had a spontaneous stomach perforation and I got a call at 4 a.m. that I needed to get to the hospital and uh, it was Brooke and she she called me and I could tell it was urgent in her voice, but she was under, she was in charge and she had everything under control. Um, she called me before the doctor did actually. And I didn't hear the story until later that actually the, the night shift doctor we had was a younger, newer doctor who wasn't as seasoned with the high level acuity uh, that Enola was. And she was um, hesitant to make certain decisions and choices. And our nurse Brooke didn't, she's like, okay, I'm ordering this lab, this lab, this lab already. So she was putting in orders before the doctor essentially told her what to do. And, um, that's a lot because normally the doctors, you know, will tell them what to order essentially. That's the difference in a, an amazing nurse and a nurse. Um, and cause if Brooke would have hesitated, we could have, you know, any, any delay, could have delayed everything. Um, so Brooke was amazing. And then we had a day shift nurse and her name was Landry and Landry was young. And, um, I think Enola terrified Landry at first, <laughs> uh, Landry, I love you. If you listen to this, but, um, she, Enola terrified everybody. <laughs> she still does. So, but the bond that they built and it was so funny because Enola, she never kept her sats like steady. They were up and down, up and down. And so she'd drop and you'd hear Landry come running down the hallway and she'd be screaming, Enola, <laughs> do you quit or stop? And so they, they really like, she learned her. And the days when I knew Landry or Brooke were there were days that, you know, I had a little bit more peace of mind when I, you know, couldn't be there or when I had to leave knowing that they had it, they had it under control. So those two are, I, I don't, I don't know how we would have made it without them. And then the, the other medical one that we had was um, Dr. Schwinderman. And he was actually an army major. I believe he was in, he was in Germany. He was a neonatologist in the army in Germany um, way back. I think in the, I mean, he got his, he finished his residency, I think in 1988. So this was early nineties when he was in Germany. Um, and that man I mean, he, he was amazing. He's actually the director of the NICU and he was her lead doctor. Uh, and there were several times where, I mean, he would listen to us rant and rave and with his still very military and a lot of the parents didn't like him, but I mean, I think there's a soft spot in there, you know, so I'd heckle him kind of like, you know, y'all heckle each other because we understood him. So without those three, I, I don't know what we would have done, but those three for sure deserve you know, all the praise. You're absolutely right, Mike. There is, there are so many people that I think about that I will never ever know Annie that will not see her, that will not know what happened. But to do the, the work that they do so professionally and the confidence that they had with these babies just always blew me away. Like I would be so tentative to put my 
hands through the humidity crib and they'd say, you could do this and you can do that and we'll teach you how to do these cares um, during the day. But the confidence that they have when you're so terrified of touching your own baby is it, it gives you the it teaches you how to how to be stronger and how to 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 be confident because then you've got to take that baby home and you bring some of that confidence that that they taught you with you I think home do you think Paul yeah 100%. yeah because one of the things and I actually will know this <clears throat> just touching the babies when they're that early they can desat so their oxygen saturation levels can drop their heart rate can have massive variations and, you know, these things can lead to death. So then the nurses need to do continual cares on the baby to rotate them and so on because the, the body should be in an amniotic sac, right? It should be almost like zero G, but it's little babies lying on a, a bed. So they would be rotated, quarter rotations, eighth rotations and so on and all the cares and it is it is terrifying when you see your baby desat and it just happens continually it, it, these the alarms go off night and day when they're touched the thing that blew me away i was expecting the doctors to be unreal but i really had no idea what a neonatal nurse did with such a high level of professionalism as cherry said but with so much love like they really love the babies and it is such a stressful environment and, you know, like 100% of the babies, unfortunately, don't go home. And they have to deal with that and live with it and keep coming back the next day into a very, very stressful work environment. And these, I mean, one morning I came in and a, a German nurse had been in overnight with Annie. And this is before mobile phone cameras. But we had a digital camera in there. And she'd taken a photo of Annie overnight. Oh, and I just, I just showed the guys. I'll, I'll put it on the show notes. To come in and just see this amazing photo, like in your camera, I didn't even see the this German nurse at all. She'd finished her shift before I came in, but you're just like, there's so much love behind that whole gesture and wanting to share just a beautiful moment of the baby sleeping peacefully in the night. And we had, I mean, amazing doctors as well, surgeons, and but it was the nurses who were there 24 hours a day keeping the babies alive like i didn't really understand how critical it is every moment of every day to get to that point there was another thing um you know we mentioned offline uh cherry was talking about how our daughter's very musical and um when when she was very little you'll notice actually how loud the NICU can be with all of the other babies alarms going off and you, you sort of look at the little neonatal uh, cribs, the humidity crib, and you think, man, that's like a resonant chamber. It's like a, a speaker. And it just the, the noises are loud. So we got clearance and I read a few articles on classical music and we got a little MP3 player and a, and a speaker and we sterilised them. You know, this is back in the day when they weren't rechargeable. And we just would, would have that inside Annie's crib playing classical music sort of pretty much the whole time. And the first couple of times we played, and there were definite times that this happened, like you'd see her heart rate return to a normal register and her, her oxygen saturation come back up towards, you know, towards 100%, just the music. And you think, well, there's, there's going to be a science around that that we're going to uncover at some stage. But we've ended up with a daughter now at 15 who I've never seen anyone with a passion for anything 
as much as Annie has a passion for music. And so there's, there's beautiful little moments as well in this gigantic, stressful journey that you go on, that you come away with these beautiful moments and beautiful connections and, you know, you see things that you have gratitude for for the rest of your life that are blessings if you look for them. Absolutely. Um, Enola was the same towards the end. Um, once she got older with music, same thing, you know, it would, it gets to the point where the nurses like at night, they all it would turn it on. So it was on 24 seven even, and um, it was playing on the computer monitor. And then even at Christmas time, they put Christmas music on. And <laughs> so um, that and was, was this cool. like a, was this like a program now? Like they had the music was part of the, the treatment. It was like a formal thing that the, hospital provided uh no actually uh, it was our nurses um certain nurses liked it more than others um right now there's a horrible nursing shortage so there's a lot of travel nurses that come in and you can tell whenever you had a travel nurse uh because there would be no music on but the resident like the nurses that were there uh at medical city you know that was that their resident you know hospital um they would always have the music on so like you said the nurses are the ones that are there 24 7 um there's things that are not in science textbooks that work kind of like the kangaroo care and the nurses see that and they know what works and just like there's things that are in the medical books that don't work um matt had a a tactful argument with one of our doctors about albuterol uh, Enola runs to Kipnik, which means her respiratory rate is high and her heart rate is high anyway. And they were giving her albuterol just because it was protocol. Well, albuterol is a bronchodilator and it increases your heart rate. So she already has a high heart rate and you're giving her something that increases it. And she really doesn't need it. It's just, it's protocol. And he, they made their standoff a couple of days. And then he finally, you know, talked to him into it and the doctor's like you know what you're right it's a pulmonary dump and there was really not every reason for it so they dc'd it and took it off her cares and her heart rates you know did a lot better so there's a lot um that like you said the nurses and the parents also uh, you know being an advocate and that was something that Cher uh, cherry has told me is being an advocate for your child um because you're there you see her every single day. Those nurses, you know, they may work a day or two here or there. The doctors may have 50 other patients. You know your baby. And having the, you know, the courage to stand up and say, hey, no, that's not right. Or I don't want you to do that. Or she doesn't like that. Or that's not how we need to do this. That's your right as a mom or as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that... <laughs> One of our uh, doctors told us that there was a time when a premature baby would go into an ICU and the parents would be told, we'll call you when, you know, it's time to come and get your baby. And oh, we're talking a long time ago. And the father wasn't really sort of told to go in at all. The mum could go in occasionally but it was pretty much a case of we'll we'll just look after your baby and then we'll uh, let you know when you can come and pick them up. And so the world that we're in with Annie, they were starting to, they were quite open to us and they would say, you know, we don't know your baby as well as you do because you're here all the time. 
And that really stuck with me because there's such a tendency, maybe not so much now, but, you know, in the past, well, the doctor knows best and I'm not going to question anything that they say and I'm just going to do exactly what they tell me to do. But over time they've realised that when the parent and the baby is, is able to connect and be with each other all the time, that parent is a great ally to have and say, hey, I've noticed something that I'm a bit worried about and that the doctors and nurses can then look into that. And, um, you know, I don't think it's ever to create a sense of uh, it's, 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 it's done so that you can create a connection with the doctor and nurse. And it's not in, um, uh, it, it's not to challenge them, but sometimes it is, it does get them thinking, right, to say, actually, why are we doing that? And it helps me to, and, and the parent to understand, well, why are you doing that? And if there's a great reason, but if, if I have doubts, then sort of help me to understand why we're doing this. And you become so involved, don't you, in, in the decisions that are being made. And it does give you a sense of a little bit of control where you feel like you really have none sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, actually, I called you guys. Um, I don't remember, know if you remember whenever you guys gave me a call. And that was, you know, when you said that, like, you're her advocate. You have the say. You, you know, you have the right to have the final say. And I had done tons of research on that procedure that they wanted to do. Um, it was a permanent procedure. It was not irreversible. It wasn't going to ever be, you know, changed once they did it. Um, and I, we put it off. We had on put it off. And then ultimately she did not get the permanent procedure. She did end up getting the GJ tube, but not the permanent. Um, because like you said, you know, that's, you know, your baby, um, they're doctors. They know a typical case of that, but Enola proved on, as I'm sure Annie did, Enola proved on wrong plenty of times. They told me she would come home with a trach and she doesn't. Um, the fact that she was a 24 weeker without steroids that doesn't have a trach is extremely rare. Uh, the fact that she was off oxygen during the day, you know, a month and a half after being home is even more rare. Um, and then especially this newest diagnosis we got that they think she may have, and she's off oxygen. The, the reason that they missed this diagnosis or the reason she wasn't previously diagnosed is this, it's because they said she wouldn't be doing as good as she is if she had it. Well, they don't know Enola. So, um, you know, seeing the consistencies in your child and knowing, you know, just going off your gut instinct on when it's okay to kind of give the doctors a little bit more weight and what they say in their opinion. And then when you need to listen to your parent, you know, your parental instinct uh, is a huge thing that I learned in the NICU. Um, they're doctors. They, they don't know everything. Uh, so many times they get kind of a, they get given a God complex, I'm not saying the doctors have it, but parents look at them like, well, that's what the doctor said. That's not always the best. And you know, your baby. So it's, it's a fine balancing act that you have to, it's another one of these needles. You've got to thread where, you know, your your baby and you've got an instinct, but there is a lot of stuff you don't know. And so you, and these relationships are really important. They're much more important than you think to keep a really strong, positive relationship with the, the carers, to keep the positivity around your baby, to not have conflict. These things are also part of it and knowing when to be an advocate and when to, when to listen and learn and then when to, to know when to speak and to reserve that for the special times. We're probably at the 
you know, time to, to wrap up. I, I feel like there's a lot more that we might be able to extract, you know, for our listeners from your story, actually, maybe at some stage we could do a, a part two because <laughs> for the people listening, this, this amazing mum has all, also just graduated in this just, just like a week ago in the last <laughs> week. So during this, during this year of trial, Ashley has also continued studying. She's continued to raise three older children and she has just graduated. So congratulations. I, I feel like I could learn a lot. <laughs> I need to, I need to get your secret. And I know there's no secret. I know it's just intention and delivering on what you need to do. But maybe a lot of coffee, right? Maybe at some point would you would you be happy to come on again in the future and uh, maybe hit some more of your amazing story and share with our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, guys. All right. So maybe for the, maybe for now, we can just go around and see, is there, is there anything that you wanted to uh, leave the listeners with? Any thoughts or observations you've had there, uh, Tio? Would you like to, any final thoughts? No, I, I literally just like listening to her story because it's like kind of what Chesa said. We can, there's... And I think it was you, Melon, who also said it doesn't matter what the what the what the conflict is. I think there's a lot that resonates in her story, and, and just honestly, Ashley, your strength, uh, like that's it's in like it's not just empowering as as a human, but it's 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 motivating, right? It's like we can do this. Like you know, everybody gets their version of whatever the antagonist in your life, and you just have to believe in yourself, and whether it's through God or whatever that you believe in. Like, don't ever quit on yourself. And I think you're a really good depictment of that. I think your story is very anecdotal. Like, I think no matter how big of an issue, like, fuck, one step at a time, you know, just one step at a time. And hopefully, like like you, it sounds like Matt, shout out to Matt. It sounds like you have an amazing husband, amazing partner in the center. And I can only imagine how much better it is because it's both of you side by side. I mean, you know, and there's people doing it alone. I know there are, and shout out to those people because that's, I'm sure that's even more of a challenge, but it's, it's a fascinating story. I mean, this is the, the fabric of life, right? Like this is, this is the stuff, you know? Yeah, I know. Like if, if we can take one or two things from what Ashley and uh, Matt have done during this journey and apply them in your own life, like get some perspective on the scale of the, you know, the disasters that you think you're dealing with and think how bad it really could be. Maybe that's the context that this story can give. Is there anything else you wanted to, any other observations you had there, Mike? Um, I know listening to this story, I, I've just kind of, honestly, I just kind of been numb listening. Like I, I forgot that I was sitting here. I was so into it, listening to all three, well, all, all, all of you, really, every one of you have had a story with the NICU. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes I think my life's hard and, uh, I just feel really humbled right now. Uh, all, all I want to leave with is for Ashley. Uh, I know what it's like to kind of be keeping busy and focusing so you don't have to focus on something else that's probably hurting you or you're fearful of. But the fact that you basically run a small farm with children and animals, uh, that you're a wonderful wife, a mother, uh, that you work and, uh, you know, you've just been this, you know, you're a veteran and you're just this rock star of a person and you graduated from college 
I know the, the, the future and the unknown in your next chapter is intimidating, but I don't want to sound like overly calm, but like just embrace the hell out of it because you got it. Uh, there's probably going to be plenty of more hard things along your path and your journey, but the, the character that you've developed over these last few years and, and who you've become, uh, you've put in the work. And I always say, it's like, you can't control what's coming, but you can't control who you're going to be when it shows up. And uh, I feel fully confident that no matter what shows up at your door, you you'll deal with it as this new person that you've become. And I'm, I'm really excited for you. I don't know if it means anything, but I'm very proud of you. And I'm just really happy that, you know, I get to know you and, you know, you share pictures of Enola and just, it motivates me to be better. So thank you. Hey, Ashley, have you thought about running for Senator? Cause I swear I would vote for you. <laughs> like, I, I mean, with the amount of stuff you've done, you could solve about 99% of the, the issues that uh, we're currently, because every time I go to the to the pump, I think I need an Ashley in my life. I need someone who just. Because <laughs> currently, as we all know, our current administration is just fucking it away. So we need some Ashleys up there just getting it done. We need some Ashleys. <laughs> Ashley 2024. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, our current administration is not a tough one to beat. So I, I don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> or. Uh, <laughs> somebody needs to kick in. I can't argue somewhere. with that. So. Yeah, I can't argue with that. <laughs> and then, Cherry, uh, is there any other thoughts, observations that you have that you wanted to just share before we close? I just wanted to thank you for sharing your story, Ashley. Um, and prior to this, you know, reaching out to Paul um, to say, hey, like this is happening to me and I know this has happened to you. Can we connect? This is what I love about some aspects of social media and, and what we have available to us with that now is that people can really look each other up and, um, you know, it, it's, it reminds us of what we've gone through but also, you know, the gratitude for where we are now and also that we can be a sounding board for you and continue to be. And I thank you for sharing your story with us um, and with the people listening to the show. It's, um, it's really wonderful to hear. It's inspiring. You're inspiring. Thank you. It was my pleasure being on, guys. And, and you know, that goes back to you guys sharing your story about Annie first. That's what like you said, resonated with me and, um, you know, putting that out there because there's people that go through this every day that need to know that they're not alone. And that's my main goal is, you know, if I can do it, going through everything, having everything on my plate, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, mm. It's not a train. I mean, sometimes it's a train, but they're past the train. There's a light. Um, it's not easy, but you know, together. And that's, that's all you got to do. You got to, people need people, people need good people and you got to be the beacon so that they know where the good people are. And you guys did that. So just kind of following your lead guys. And forward. Well, on it's awesome. It. Ashley's been begging us. Say it again, Tio. I was just saying, I think it's awesome that Ashley's been pushing back against chaos. And we always talk about that within your own little sphere of influence, you're passionate about pushing back against chaos. And that's exactly what you've been doing, standing in rank. And it's, it's really awesome. It's really good to hear that. That's yeah. happening up in Northeast Texas. <laughs> We're all in it together, guys. 
And on behalf of our uh, community and our listeners, actually, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. And, you know, I know that I'm really looking forward to hearing more, uh, more insights in the future. So for everyone out there, the challenge is, you know, have a look at the challenges in your life and look at the scale of them. And, you know, who can you be in the face of these things? And I think that all of us can take something from Ashley's story and step up. And uh, until next week, we'll see you soon.